You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, good afternoon, peace upon you, and welcome to another episode of the Draft Time Show here on the Voice of Islam. Today, with myself, Raza, and brother Fahim, over the next two hours, we are going to be with you talking about. Um, A very interesting topic, and that is about deep thinking, it's about reflection, it's about introspection. Um, And uh, as I said, uh, it's going to be a very interesting topic, and we would love for you to stay with us and to get involved. You can call us, you can tweet to us, you can send us a comment on Instagram. Uh, and uh, if you prefer email, do so by all means. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call. You can send us a tweet at Voice of Islam UK and also on Instagram. Now, speaking about Instagram, we're asking you a question about today's topic, and that is, when are you most likely to stop and reflect? Fahim, assalamu alaikum to you as well. Wa alaikum Thank you for having me. How was your week so far? There's a lot happening in the world, isn't it? <laughs> yes, a lot of news going on. Um, it's great weather today. Um, that's a bonus. But yeah, <laughs> that's a pretty <laughs> the only good thing today <laughs> for some people. I know, uh, but yeah, it's it's been an interesting week, which will probably inspire some real deep thinking. No doubt, that's a good segue. Well. What do we mean by today's topic? The Welsh poet William Henry Davies fam- famously wrote um, this line in his ironically titled poem, Leisure. He says that we have no time to stand and stare, no time to stand beneath the boughs and stare as long as, sheeps, uh, as sheep or cows. Interesting. Well, the focus of today's show is that very thing, standing and staring or to put it in another way thinking and reflecting in chapter 34 verse 47 of the holy quran god almighty states say to them i exhort you to do one thing and that is that you stand before allah two and two or singly and reflect so what is deep thinking what is the relationship with reflection what does it mean to reflect how should we reflect and is it possible to maybe go too far to ruminate and become, well, introspective. Yeah, I think there's a fine line, isn't there? You can easily become yeah. quite obsessive. You can sit there, you can start thinking, hey, oh, that situation that you were just in, you could start you know, ruminating over it and, and be obsessed with it and say, oh, I should have said this, I should yeah, have said yeah, that. Yeah. And you know, it's, There's a fine line, whereas you know, deep thinking can inspire some really creative thinking. Sure. You know, there's times, uh, even at work, where I like to be alone and completely mm, just mm. you know, really get creative and think about things like really basically through um so i think there's there's two ends of the spectrum there's a <laughs> it reminds me of a saying it's 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 in the punjabi language um if you translate it basically is uh, if you if you fall into deep thoughts hmm. i'm really you know simplifying this here yeah. if you fall into deep thoughts that's the end of it <laughs> Yeah, you, you, you. I'm sure you, you must have heard it. Yeah. So cheap, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it, 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 
there's different aspects I'm sure that you can look at it but I think the way you described it uh, in in our lives that we have um you, you get up for work uh, you yeah. have your routine you go to work and throughout this whole time by the time you get home there's not really much time that we have to think you you know um thinking about this actually um pun not intended um when I during covid one of the things that i missed was uh, my actual commutes mm. now now yeah. i think about commutes <laughs> I, i don't like them but um, actually commutes are a time where you yeah. know especially on the tube you have no access to internet you you actually are alone with your thoughts so you can sit there and think because like you said you know the hustle and bustle of the yeah. day you know you, you won't even stop to think for a second um you know you're always on what sh- what shall i do next what what, yeah, what yeah. should i be doing or, or does this person need me or my phone's yeah. just pinged so yeah you forgot your phone today how, exactly. how did that feel <laughs> <laughs> no, I, i was trying to get inspired for the show it was, it was definitely <laughs> intentional um, no yeah um the constant pings for sure like yeah. i think that they could just keep you distracted and and to deep think um but not uh, get too introspective yeah, uh, yeah. um is 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 a fine line and i think that um islam can give some good guidance on that as I'm well i'm sure i'm sure i i actually made a i'm not sure if it's a mistake or not but i got a smart watch yeah oh. and <laughs> before you could it's all over put, it's all over now <laughs> it's it's uh, there's no excuses now to miss yeah. any messages I mean it has goods and bads of course there's yeah. there's there's good uh, positives and negatives about everything depending on how you use them but I think well, it would have helped me today right yeah, yeah. well it would have uh, <laughs> definitely <laughs> well actually without the phone it's kind of useless oh, is it <laughs> <laughs> just tells you the time like any other watch but yeah um as as we said covid I think or, or the lockdown specifically mm. it um kind of forced us to yeah. think forced us to 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 sit back to relax a little bit despite all the difficulties that we were facing and and maybe just take a take a take a different approach to life i mean families and yeah. as well they were spending a lot more time together and which made you observant which made you think which made you uh maybe reflect on some of the things that you are doing in your life as as parents i know yeah. as 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 a husband or as a wife i'm sure you you had a different approach to things yeah definitely i think um what what the lockdown did was it removed all these distractions mm. that stops you from going into detail yeah. or, or to to think or notice things it, it stops you from like there's so many distractions literally wherever you go yeah. whatever it is there is a screen at some point yeah. in your life like i don't know how I, i haven't checked my screen time in a while but i'm pretty sure it's it's, it's skyrocketing yeah. <laughs> uh, so i think that um that's what i really got from that is that it was it removed a lot of distractions yeah. um and yeah no definitely i think you definitely saw Uh, more of your family yeah, yeah. <laughs> some people might like that some people might not have enjoyed that you know <laughs> this um but no i i actually i i learned a lot during that time as well actually yeah. i found myself um learn a lot about myself you yeah. know what i actually enjoy doing you know i found um some joy in writing uh, which i i don't think i would have explored as much um had it not been for lockdown i discovered gardening Oh nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so from that time on uh, tomatoes every year. Yeah. Fingers crossed <laughs> I get some harvest this time. <laughs> But I think when you were talking about the the commute I think in the subway one one thing that I've noticed as someone who doesn't do this on a regular mm. I mean I don't travel into the city but whenever I do and specifically during the the peak hours when people are traveling to and from work 
sometimes it's not just about uh, us choosing to run away from reality. Isn't that what screens are for? Right, so you keep yeah. yourself busy. You, you, all these social media platforms talking about what has what is happening in the world, checking out what's happening in, on the other side of the planet, what people are doing, what people are not doing, getting ideas, all of these things. So, kind of running away from 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 reality, yeah. so you don't have to face kind of the music here at home. Well, you follow someone else's life yeah. to escape from exactly. your own life. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I think especially for the younger generation, this is something that growing up for us. Um, was 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 a bit different. Yeah. We didn't have these screens. You had nature to reflect outside. Yeah. In in real in yeah, real we used life. to go outside and play. <laughs> yeah. and play. Yeah. Oh God, we sound like some <laughs> old people here. <laughs> but anyways, um, Doctor Breen Brown in her book Daring Greatly explored our desire to keep busy, meaning busyness, as a numbing strategy to avoid us being alone with our thoughts, mm. and. So this this running away effect or escaping into a different reality, living the life as you said yeah. of a different person, watching it from from their view, um, something that a lot of people do struggle with, yeah. and it comes with its issues. I mean, we've had mental health issues, and we have, especially youngsters who, who who dream of a certain lifestyle without knowing the reality of this. I know I've done some shows and yeah. you've probably come across articles or, 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 or other things as well where it not all that glitters is, uh, what's the saying, is gold, isn't it? Definitely. And, and, you know, I think we've spoken about it on a previous show, but, um, you know, it's so easy to, to th- see this um, information online mm. and, and believe it to be true but you know it's a posed for picture yeah. it's not even that person's um, car and it makes you starting to feel bad about yourself and you know I've seen it on um, LinkedIn especially mm. I think um, more recently I found a lot of content on there um, being very focused on I'm an entrepreneur um, mm. at 20 years old yeah. I've um, <laughs> d- done a six figure business <laughs> and I was, th- I was sitting so there you can do it yourself. yeah exactly I've <laughs> done it you can do it I'm sitting there thinking you know what I'm, I'm like 10 years older than you <laughs> and, and I haven't done that. So, so how has that happened? So it's so easy to start yeah. to feel like that because you're like constantly bombarded with it. That's so true. Now, um, Dan Pont Pontefract, a leader leadership strategist, points out um, how this busyness uh, that uh, we just mentioned has meant we have less opportunity to just let our minds wander. I mean, this is crucial if we are to be are to be creative. If we are excessively busy, there's no opportunity for our mind to wander or daydream and consequently the ideas dry up or they do not surface at all. And there's something that Albert Einstein also said. Yeah, um Einstein has said that um the world as we have created it as a process of our thinking. It cannot be changed without changing our thinking. Mm. Here, Einstein is pointing to a very strong relationship between thought and change. And, you know, I think this is really important because um, when it comes to creativity as well, like uh, I consider myself a creative person, Um, but like, and I've actually seen genuine change in my uh, productivity that day mm. when I've been for a walk with my wife and child. Yeah, yeah. Like wh- when I've done that and got out of the house, whereas during lockdown, some of the times I was in the house, I was uh, I was checking my watch, um, which doesn't give me notifications, <laughs> but it just tells me my steps. <laughs> uh, 
I was I was stepping like about fifteen hundred steps a day, mm. and I was sitting there at the screen. But you know, getting out, just that walk, like I didn't yeah, you know go yeah. for any purpose or say, oh, I need to think about this. But getting out the house just really like impacted my creativity and mm. just you know gave gave me that inspiration. So I can really see what Einstein's saying here. And I think if you look at these big. Uh, uh, tech companies. This is what they do to to create that environment for yeah. the workers, for for the employees, where that creative creativity can can flourish, can blossom, where you don't just sit on a screen for hours and hours and just focus on one thing, but you have different you know platforms, different activities, different places, colors, and whatnot. I'm sure. Yeah, we we've started implementing walking meetings. So, yeah, like yeah. you know, if you're having a one-on-one with someone, you you should get out um, and start for and do that oh, all over a walk. And cool. it's it's genuinely like impacted quite positively. Maybe we can do a radio show while walking. Yeah, should we try it? <laughs> <laughs> um, the Prophet Abraham, peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon him, did just that when was tra- when he was trying to understand the nature of God. We find in the Holy Quran that he considered the moon, the sun and idols as possible contenders but through the process of elimination and rational thought he concluded that none of these could be the ultimate creator and it's a very wonderful story if you think about it if you read it that he he was looking at the sun and, 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 and maybe thought that this is this is how the creator this is how God should be and maybe it is but then when the sun set he thought to himself, no, that can't be. God cannot just disappear mm. and turn into something else. Then you had the stars, you had the moon. So all of these things then ultimately led up to the point where he he came to a conclusion. And I think in the Holy Quran, in many places, God Almighty has reminded the believers over and over again that if you want to find out more about God, if you want to find out more about your own self, if you want to find out more about spirituality and, and, and so many other topics, then it says ponder, yeah. uh, reflect, um, and not just in in the present, but also go back in into the past and look at the 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 stories of 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 the older prophets. Look at the stories of the nations before you, how they did, and what lesson you can learn from that. Definitely, I've just thought we could give our listeners a tip. Yeah. Right. So you're so consumed by your phone, mm. right? Instead of looking at your phone, think about how was the phone made, <laughs> right? Like think think about yeah. that because I was thinking about it. Um, m- my wife came from Canada and um, we went for a walk in my, in our local area, and she was noticing these trees that I hadn't even <laughs> seen, and I've lived there for like twenty odd years. So like um, honestly, it's so easy to just be oblivious yeah. to things when you're just like always on your journey. So you know, to our listeners today, try to to get some deep thinking yeah. in today. Think about how things were made that you're using rather than just looking at them and, and you know, it, it might send you on a different ponder. That reminds me, of, I think, uh, I'm not sure who said it, and, but it's, it's, it's related to, 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 to gratefulness, yeah. to being grateful to God Almighty. I think, I believe it was the Promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community who said that when you are presented with a with a laddu. So laddu mm-hmm. is basically it's a it's a it's, it's a, Indian a, sweet. It's an Indian sweet mm-hmm. is from the subcontinent and it's made of what is it what is it made of? I don't even know. Well, we we have It's we, yellow. We clearly haven't done any <laughs> like, thought over it. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean okay, just ingredients involved. Yeah. Let's say let's say that that. So wheat, sugar, uh, oil, and he said that there are people who will just take two bites and that laddu is gone. Yeah, there, there, there. It is. It's in your stomach, and that's it. The end of the end of it. But then you have 
people who are spiritually on a different level, you have these saints and whatnot, they will take one bite and savor it. Think. Yeah. Think about the different ingredients. Think about the sugar that mm. is involved in this. And they think, okay, how was this sugar, as you mentioned with, mm. the, with the phone, that you think about how was it made? Where did it come from? And he goes on to say that, oh, it was a farmer who sowed the seed mm. of the sugar cane. The sugar cane then developed it. They And then the farmer harvested the, the sugar cane. They made it into a syrup. Then they made it into sugar. Then you have the wheat. Then you have the oil. Same process. And if you think about this one bite, you can think about hours about all of the work that went into that and ultimately leading it up to God Almighty who provided all the the resources, the, the, the farmer, the water, the plants, the earth, the soil, everything combined. And you are literally left with nothing else but to be grateful to God Almighty who has given you this gift. And Definitely. that's from one bite. Yeah, no, and, and on the flip side, so if you're eating that laddu, and you threw it away after one bite, yeah, yeah. think of all of that effort that you yeah, wasted yeah. and that blessing that you had. That's right? crazy. Now, um, so the question is, are we becoming more superficial in our thinking and so less reflective? Dennis Clausen, professor of English at the University of San Diego, thinks so and blames it on our over-reliance on the internet. For example, when computers were allowed in his classroom, he observed that students became less inquisitive. They did not look deep inside themselves to whatever original response they might create in the depths of their own unique intellects. The answers to them were to be found in their computers or cell phones, not in their own ability to think. Yeah, and, and Steve Mueller, um, the blogger, agrees with this. He, he says, in the age of technology, quality thinking is difficult to come by. Instead, shallow, instinct-driven thinking prevails. Even worse, superficial thinking is promoted by the world we're living in. Vigorous thinking is no longer shining in like the bright light it used to. A recent uh, review of available research conducted by Dr. Firth of King's College here in London and his team also concluded that our online brain was becoming less analytical and we were losing the ability for sustained thinking. Well, this seems to be having a knock-on effect on how we store information, which then in turn affects how we value knowledge. And practicing deep thinking can be life-changing. I remember the days when we were not allowed even calculators in school. Yeah. And now it's like, how how can you not come to school without a calculator? Exactly. We had to do these things on, on paper. Yeah. <laughs> Use that brain of ours. Now, earlier on, we spoke to our guest of uh, the, our first guest for today, Dr. Nicholas Cardaras. He is the founder and CEO of Amiga Recovery and the author of How Plato and Pythagoras Can Save Your Life. And this is what Dr. Nicholas Cardaras had to say. We have Nick Cardaras, who is a psychologist and author of Plato and Pythagoras Can Save Your Life. So. Um, welcome to the show. It's uh, the Voice of Islam. Uh, thank you for joining us today, Nick. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Um, so, I'm hoping you're not going to uh, tell me that a, a squared plus b squared and equals c squared is going to save my life. But um, could you give us an outline of how you used to think before you found Greek philosophy? Yeah, I think like most people, um, I think it's easy in 21st century society to get caught up with materialism and sort of the the shallower end of the swimming pool and 
I think I got caught up, in, like most people sometimes get caught up, not only in the day-to-day of survival, but in some of the uh, things that make our lives feel more empty. Um, and, you know, as a psychologist, I started working with clients who were more and more struggling with a crisis of emptiness, a crisis of not having a sense of meaning and purpose in their lives. And I think that is a byproduct of the consumer laden uh, materialistic world that we've evolved into. Yeah. And so in what sense can Greek philosophy help a person develop their critical thinking skills? Well, and, and I think beyond critical thinking skills, it's I think the, the more profound quest is how to live a more engaged and meaningful life. Hmm. And, 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 and critical thinking can help be a tool towards that goal because before, well, before classical philosophy, uh, we used superstition and all sorts of other means to better understand the world that we lived in and our purpose within that world. Philosophy essentially answers the why questions of existence and of our lives. Uh, you know, the, the historian and philosopher Bertrand Russell has said that philosophy is the no man's land between theology and science. And science does a really good job at answering the how questions. How does my car engine work? But philosophy helps me to understand why. Why have I built my engine? Why am I driving my car? And and, and I think that's part of our evolutionary DNA. We're profoundly curious species. Um, Being curious led to a lot of innovations. When you look back at, there's a term called neophilia. Uh, We're profoundly... uh, in love with new things and and that kept us alive as a species because we helped develop new ways to cultivate land and agricultural techniques and creating tools so we're hardwired to be curious because it keeps us discovering new things and if we don't satiate our thirst for discovery we begin to feel empty we begin to feel what's my life mean and philosophy really helps us to understand that to, to create a narrative of why my life has profound meaning and purpose and critical thinking is a mechanism to help kind of eliminate the noise that might get in the way of clarity of that message or of that purpose yeah and so what what role does meditation uh, for for pythagoras in order to um enhance deep thinking like what what role did um meditation take in it yeah, the Pythagoreans were used contemplative meditation as a part of their daily practice. They mm-hmm. used to do contemplative meditations on the deeper questions of not only existence, cosmology, but music, mathematics. Pythagoras believed that mathematics was the language of God, and that if you did contemplative meditations on the transcendent aspect of math, it had an elevating effect on our consciousness. Uh, and, and when I say mathematics, I don't mean things like multiplication or quantitative mathematics. I mean, he looked at things like the number one as, as, as a metaphor for unity. Hmm. The number two was dualism. The number three was synthesis of two opposing ideas. He, Plato developed what were called the ideal forms. These were concepts that, that predated humanity and material existence and he believed um, were transcended space and time and if we did meditations 
that tried to help us connect with those transcendent ideas, it had an elevating effect on us as well as human beings. It, the metaphor that Pythagoras used is that human beings were like a lyre, like a stringed instrument, and meditation would, would help us tune our instruments. Right, so like engaged in, I know that's really interesting. So you, you've also looked into the adverse impact of the digital world on young minds. What solutions does ancient philosophy offer to help maintain strong critical thinking skills in our future generations? Yeah, I write about this a lot because I've written a couple of books about the role of the digital age. Hmm. So the digital age has, has created not only uh, not only hardwired children towards impulsivity because of the instant gratification aspect of, you know, di- digital media is not only instantaneous, but it's also... Um, overwhelming. There's so much noise. There's so much information overload um, that the the ocean that we're swimming in, to use a metaphor, has become much more turbulent. There's just much more. Uh, uh, <laughs> there are many more waves, and critical thinking and classical philosophy can help us navigate through that uh, turbulent sea in a much more helpful way. We're not going to change the world because. I think the internet and certain digital toxins like social media are here to stay, but can we become better swimmers? Can we use our critical thinking tools? Can we use some of these other ideas of sound body, sound mind, correct living, ethical, uh, not only ethics and civics have been lost in the modern uh, discourse, uh, but we've lost Side of that, so we've lost sight of what it means to be an ethical, ex, uh, curious uh, human being that's living a life of purpose and meaning. Because we're caught up pay- playing Candy Crush ten hours a day, or binge watching Netflix, or caught up in some of the noise—the noise that keeps us uh, distracted and addicted, but not growing. Yeah, I like your metaphor of the the waves, because you know it can. Critical thinking kind of like help you navigate through that and, and find a route through. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. And um, so research indicates that conversations on deep topics can actually make you happier. How has Plato um, helped you be happier? Well, I, I think it absolutely saved my life. I went. I had a crisis in my life almost twenty five years ago that almost led me to uh, not survive. That almost that led me to. Uh, I was in a coma and had a had a critical juncture in my life where I just felt empty and I was involved in some bad habits that almost killed me. Hmm. And awakening from that, I was really curious. Awakening from my coma, um, I had a profound thirst to figure things out. And, and that started by getting books from the local library and, and exploring uh, some of these ancient philosophical ideas that really helped provide a sense of meaning and purpose. And so being able to connect with that, being able to uh, create a life of meaning and purpose through deep thinking um, is, is the way that we're wired. I think so many of us today are just so numbed and desensitized by some of our digital infatuations that we're not really thinking what 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 is the purpose of my life what what does it really mean and and we know like from victor frankel the eminent psychiatrist who was in auschwitz survived auschwitz 
and, and wrote his book, Man's Search for Meaning, and developed a type of psychotherapy called logotherapy, which was a therapy where you try to search for the meaning in your life. Because I think that's the direct antidote to the modern age. The modern age has vacuumed out deeper meaning in our lives because it's just made us entertainment seekers. But that leaves us profoundly empty and depressed. At the end of the day, we're entertained, but we're depressed and empty. That's why depression rates have skyrocketed before COVID. COVID made things worse. But before COVID, we were going through a crisis of depression. And I think a big part of that was because we weren't leading lives that we felt were meaningful. And so being able to ask the deeper questions can create a shift in the transition into a more engaged, embodied, meaningful life. And I just want to add that for the ancients, philosophy wasn't an intellectual practice. It wasn't just uh, what they call discursive philosophy, where you debated a topic. Philosophy was praxis. It was a lived practice where you lived a certain way that was in alignment with your philosophical orientation. So you didn't just talk about philosophy, you lived philosophy. And that's what I think we're really lacking today. Even philosophy professors today are, are living in their heads rather than they're in their practice. Well, thank you so much, Nick. That was really, really insightful. And thank you for joining the show, and uh, peace be upon you. Great. I thank you so much for having me as a guest. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. That was Dr. Nicholas Cardras, a psychologist and author of How Plato and Pythagoras Can Save Your Life. And I do agree with his last point um, and, of course, uh, the other things that he mentioned as well about one thing having the the, the ideology, the concept, the, 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 the teaching, but then putting those teachings into practice. And I think it's not just with philosophy, especially for us, as Muslims or you know people of faith, if you have the the teachings, if you have the book, but you don't put it into practice, what's the point of that? Definitely, um, I was, I can't remember where I saw it. Um, it said literally, knowledge is useless without practice. Of yeah, it, right. Yeah. Like to if you don't implement it, there's no point having all of this knowledge. You can sit there. What well, maybe you might do really well on a test. Yeah. And that's why I think that sometimes you know the schooling systems it can be difficult with like yeah. just being you're taught to memorize things rather than yeah. like you know, act and, and learn actionable things. Now, in education, uh, uh, Booth, Q, and Walker define reflection as a generic term for those intellectual and affective activities in which individuals engage to explore their experiences in order to lead to a new understanding and appreciation. Now, they stressed we learned best, not if we were told lots of things, but if we re- reflected on experience and then applied it. A reflective cycle. Now, this kind of reflection is essentially inward looking and reflective practices like keeping a journal and reviewing performances are used now in many fields from education to medicine to the service industry. But why? Because along with encouraging you to think, they also make you more productive. Our next guest for today is with us on the line. We're going to talk to Todd Kettler, who's an associate professor of educational psychology at the Baylor University. Good afternoon, peace upon you, and welcome to the Draft Time Show, Todd. Thank you very much. Can I say Professor Kettler or? Uh, you can call me Todd <laughs> or Professor Kettler, either is fine. No, of course, I'll call you Professor Kettler. Professor, thank you very much, first of all, for your time, and welcome to the Draft Time Show. You are, have argued that 
When reflecting, we need to think about the direction of our reflections. Um, I want to start off with that and ask you if you could elaborate on that for us. What does that mean? Yes, that's a, that's a great question. Um, when I work with teachers, I try to encourage them to include a reflection cycle in, the, in their learning plan. Uh, and when I do that, I, I suggest to them that there are four ways we could direct our reflections. And uh, the four ways are reflecting backward, also reflecting forward, and then reflecting inward and reflecting outward. Now, I can elaborate briefly on each sure, of those. Sure, sure. We ask students to reflect backward. We ask them to reflect on the learning experience they've just recently completed. Think about where they struggled, where they were successful, what it might mean uh, to learn this material. Why, why would this even be included in the curriculum? Why is it important to them in their present or in their future? Uh, so we would have them reflect backward uh, thinking in that way. Then we may ask a student to reflect forward. And uh, by reflecting forward, the student would be thinking about well, what might I do better next time? Uh, as I try to improve myself as a learner, uh, these are some uh, ways I may have struggled, so I'm going to do X or Y or Z to be more effective or more efficient um, going forward. And then uh, maybe a little more complicated is we ask students to reflect inward and outward. Uh, when a student reflects inward, uh, the student would ask a question such as, well, uh, what does this mean for uh, for me as a person, how am I growing or changing? How am I uh, uh, internalizing this in terms of my ethic or my commitment to truth and justice uh, and so forth? And then uh, lastly, the, the outward reflection, ask a student to uh, engage in the uh, thought of, well, how would others see me? Uh, based on how I'm performing in my work and in my speech and in my thoughts, well, how do others perceive me as a person, as a human, as a colleague, as a friend, so that I can see myself as others might see me? And that you can imagine that's sometimes difficult uh, mm. to do for anyone, but especially uh, adolescents, uh, uh, especially. Yeah, uh, Professor, in, in all of this, I, I was wondering, we've all, when we were in school and, and learning things, we, already, we always ask this question, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> where where does that fall into? Because I I, I couldn't fit into that um, in, in any of the four categories that you mentioned. Maybe I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, the what am I going to do with this question has been ever present and will probably always be present in the uh, <laughs> education cycle. Um, and it may be different for everyone. Uh, I think in in a good educational system, we try to communicate to the the students, whether they're young children or even adults at a university, uh, why we are learning uh, this particular material. Mm. Uh, in some cases, it's uh, it's about a skill that we're trying to develop. In other cases, we're learning things because of the dispositions mm. or the habits that they may form in us, so that we become better you know better humans or better colleagues or, or better workers in the future. So. So sometimes the impact of the why is not very immediate. And I, I give you a good example. Like for instance, uh, whether you know, regardless of where a person lives, we may study a great play like Shakespeare's Macbeth. Yeah. And I remember one time I was teaching Macbeth, and a student said, "Well, why are we learning this?" I said, "Well, uh, one, you're never going to speak an iambic pentameter. <laughs> you're probably not going to be king of Scotland, right? But you know what? You may have to deal with issues such as." Ambition. Yeah. How do I control ambition so that I remain moral and ethical in my behaviors without letting the ambition run wild? 
So, so that's a why, but it's a long-term why, yeah, and it's a yeah. complex why, especially for an adolescent. Awesome. Um, so, Professor Kettler, of course you've had some experience in educating gift- gifted children. Would you say that they're gifted because they're deep thinkers? Like, what, what is that relationship between you know, deep thinking and being gifted? Yeah, that is, that's also a great question. Uh, typically, whether it's uh, wherever we study giftedness in the world, it's typically associated with high cognitive ability. Uh, and high cognitive ability, we may think of as you know intelligence, uh, potential, and high cognitive ability um, doesn't necessarily lead to deep thinking. I would I would argue that deep thinking is more of a habit than a pure ability. So while we may see a gifted student has potential to be a really deep thinker, they have to be taught the habit of deep thinking. Deep thinking mm. requires reflection. Mm. Deep thinking mm. requires commitment to uh, going beyond the surface, getting to the complexities of a matter, and uh, appreciating that everything has more facets than we initially believe uh, as we encounter it. So when we build this habit of deep thinking, it has to be uh, taught, it has to be modeled, and more importantly than anything, it has to be practiced uh, over a sustained period of time. So I don't think deep thinking is inherent in uh, a gifted individual. In fact, I think all individuals, whether they have uh, incredibly high cognitive ability or average or even below average cognitive ability, everybody can think deeply. It may look a little different, but everybody, but it can be something that all people can do. Uh, Professor Keller, as, as parents, um, what, what can we do with our children, for our children to, um, well, Gifted is always a word. I mean, there's nothing that we as parents can do, but is there any environment that we can create? Is there anything that we can give them, do for them to encourage that 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 thinking or that reflection um, so that they, you know, get a little bit more out of life? I think one of the main ways kids learn from their parents is they observe more of what we do as parents mm-hmm. uh, than what we say. And I, I can say this because I've, I'm a parent of six children, oh, wow. and uh, uh, so uh, I, I love my kids. And I have learned over time that they probably learn more from observing my behavior than they yeah. learn from what I uh, say in my speech. So I think if I were advising parents, I would say model what you want your children to pick up on. Uh, and if you model deep thinking, if you model reflection, if you model just contemplation on uh uh, topics and issues that are uh, are of importance, then I think your children will learn that those are important, and they will find ways to bring those uh, types of behaviors and those dispositions into their own lives. Hmm, wonderful. Now, in in your most recent book, Developing Creativity in the Classroom, you also look at encouraging students to be more innovative. Now, how strong is the relationship between deep thinking? And creativity. We, when before we got you on, uh, Fahim was talking about the different methods that have been applied here in, 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 um, in you know, at work. Different workplaces having different methods where you don't just sit at a desk all the time uh, mm-hmm. to encourage that creativity. Maybe you have what was it? Wa- you, you, walking walk, meetings. Walking yeah. meetings and and just getting out. Yeah, you know, seeing yeah. nature. Yeah, I I uh, I agree with that. I think sometimes. Uh, 
any type of thinking uh, can be benefited by changing uh, uh, perspectives. And, and changing perspective can be as simple as a physical change of perspective, like getting away from my desk, getting into nature, getting in. In fact, I have, I'm, uh, I'm currently attending a, a symposium, and one of the things we're going to do is visit uh, a, a uh, museum slash library later this afternoon uh, because that does change your perspective. Yeah. Right? You can get away from the table or you can get away from the desk. I do agree with that. I think my, my commitment to creativity and educational environments is really based on the idea that we live in a complex world of uh, high technology and automation. And when I look at the way like, jobs are transitioning and the, the nature of the work people are doing, the skill that really is important is innovation, content creation, uh, combining ideas to generate a new pathway or a new way of doing something, that's, that seems to be the nature of the work we expect people to engage in. And, and my, my suspicion, and I talk to a lot of uh, graduates and, uh, and uh, graduate students, and they'll say, we really didn't learn much about this in our educational program. Mm. So I, I worry that we're sending students out of university or out of uh, tertiary schools into this uh, work environment where they're expected to be innovators or expected to be problem solvers, but maybe they've engaged in an educational system that it required a lot of memorization and uh, repetition uh, and not you know, true complex problem solving. So uh, one, of my, uh, one of the big areas of my work is to build these learning designs where we emphasize how to think uh, creatively, how to uh, generate ideas, how to create content, how to merge uh, different concepts so that we can think of something from a new perspective or a new way. I think, if, I think that's a skill that can be developed, and I think we should start developing it, particularly in early adolescence, and just gradually do that all the way through high school and university so that uh, those um, uh, young adults entering the workforce are ready for that type of work because I, I fear that if it's simple work, it can be automated. So mm -hmm. the, the, the human contribution is going to be in the areas of innovation, creativity, uh, and design. Definitely. Um, I know AI can do, can automate a lot of things, so definitely, uh, you know, the human uh, like uh, the importance of humans is going to be through the creativity. Yeah. So. Um, you mentioned a bit about it, but uh, what is complex thinking, and, and is it something that can be taught? Uh, yes, yes. First, uh, first, uh, when I use the term complex thinking in some of my work, I, I generally refer to think of it as a sort of a larger category to include creative thinking, critical thinking, problem solving, uh, even analytical thinking, and like uh, maybe like decision science, those sorts of uh, tasks. Uh, so complex thinking to me is a sort of a, a large category that would involve these more discrete types of thought patterns. Um, I do think it can be taught, uh, and I think it can be taught uh, in ways that we would teach, you know, anything else: uh, repetition, uh, clarity, uh, holding uh, students accountable to uh, engaging in those types of performances and assessing them on those types of performances rather than, uh, for instance, just repeating what the instructor has said or repeating what might have been written in the text, but rather uh, generating new ideas or looking for new evidences to sustain uh, their arguments uh, and so forth. So I think it can be taught, and I think that it is something that has to be taught uh, because it's it's too critical. It is 
I think we can look at, you know, the most complex problems our, our world is facing, from environmental challenges uh, to the types of uh, conflicts that we are encountering around the world today, and think, you know what, we need some complex thinkers. We need some people who are willing to solve problems and uh, tackle some of these biggest challenges uh, because they're not going to go away and they're going to require more than surface-level thinking. Wonderful. Professor Kettler, lastly, I want to ask you about silence. Now, silence is seen as an important way for us to encourage deep thinking. But how can we ensure that you know, that silence is well spent and not just used for thinking about your lunch, not just used for thinking about our problems and then increasing stress that comes with with, with that, maybe? Yeah, that's, uh, I love that question. And the truth is I love silence. I think if you could ask my children, they would tell you that. We don't have really much of that them. these days, doesn't it? <laughs> but, um, so, uh I think silence is maybe underappreciated. I, I look at the way schools operate today, and, and they seem uh, there's a lot of emphasis on let's be very active, let's be engaging, let's be uh, uh, constantly moving, constantly uh, in dialogue. And, and sometimes we have to pause, and we have to be silent, and we have to think about what is it that I just encountered. Like I really believe that we don't learn by experience, but rather we learn by how we reflect and internalize that experience. If we don't build in the silent moment, we, uh, we cheat the students out of the opportunity to really make, that, uh, make the meaning uh, important so that it really sticks uh, and, and stays with them. Uh, like one of the things we know about cognitive science is students will learn, forget most of the facts and details they learn in school. We've studied this for everybody uh, uh, for years, and they, they forget most of the details. So we have to ask ourselves, what, what is it that really sticks with students over time? Hmm. And I think what sticks with students are things like habits and disposition, uh, moral and ethical um, commitments that they develop over time. So when we think of those facts and details as just vehicles to teach these larger intellectual virtues, such as uh, you know, intellectual humility and intellectual uh, perseverance. Uh, so that, uh, but those develop through these silent moments. So I, I think that your, the second part of your question is fascinating. How do we ensure that it's being spent uh, well? And, and it is true that uh, um, reflection and silent reflection is a, I think it's a, a discipline that has to be practiced over time. So we can really make ourselves have uh, these quiet times, of deep reflection, where we get past the details or the schedule or whatever may be worrying us for the day. Um, I think that that is important that we uh, try to train our students, whether they're younger or older students, to learn how to use silence as a, a time of uh, valid and serious reflection. Associate Professor of Educational Psychology at Baylor University, Professor Todd Kettler with us on the line. Thank you so much for your time, Professor. It was such an interesting interview and wish you all the best. And uh, again, thank you so yeah. much for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Peace be upon you. Thank you. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call. What an interesting interview with Professor Kettler, and there's a few things that we want to talk about. Um, just a quick reminder, if you want to get in contact with us, you can send us a comment on Instagram, and there we're asking you a question on our Instagram story. When are you most likely to stop and reflect? So go to Words of Islam UK on Instagram and leave us a comment.
Um, the point that you mentioned about, you know, we always ask this question about how, ca- what can we do for our children? Yeah. And I think His Holiness, Hazrat uh, Masood Ahmed, says this over and over again. I've heard this in so many Q&A sessions and so many addresses that he has delivered and the sermons that he's delivered as well. And it's based on the teachings of Islam where in the Holy Quran, God Almighty states that, why do you say that which you do not do yourself? Yeah. Children see, children do. All of these things, they've come out of this verse and you know different other teachings of Islam where the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that you need to inculcate good manners in your children. Yeah. And how do you do that? By showing them yourselves. Yeah. So if you, and His Holiness said this in his sermons, if you are watching movies till like one or two o'clock in the night and you don't get up for for fajr in the morning there's not many Mm. there's not a big (laughs) chance of your kids growing up and and waking up for fajr on time because you're not setting the right examples exactly no definitely i think that um you know i think i think we've spoken about it on a a previous show as well where like that's something that i'm trying to make a conscious effort yeah even though my son is uh, nine months old um, oh, trust me, they <laughs> observe he, everything. Like everything, he, just, any yeah. sort of thing, he just picks it up, and yeah. and you know, it's it's really important that you know I can stand there all day and say to him, "Don't do this, don't do that." But ultimately, if I'm doing it, it yeah. you know, he'll do it as well. The words you're gonna yeah. have to choose carefully. Exactly. The things, that, the way you talk to your wife is gonna exactly. be changing a lot. No, yeah. I know, I, I get that, and that's exactly, that's exactly what it is. And I think in in and something that. Professor Kettler also said that to to create that environment, I think what what we need to do in our households, specifically for our kids, if you don't want them to be robots, yeah. yeah? And I've uh, one of the speeches that was held at the annual convention in 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 the United States in two thousand and eight, I was there, and one of the one of the speakers asked this question that if I was to ask you what animal would you be or which animal you would like to be yeah. and I gave, I gave you an option between a sheep and a lion yeah. which one would you choose? Nobody would choose the sheep. Yeah. Everybody would choose the lion. Uh, yeah. The difference is that one is a follower and the other one is a leader. Yeah, yeah. So if you equip them with the right knowledge and the right knowledge the right moral uh, compass and you give that to your children on the way then I think there's a good way of, of, of them becoming a, a positive a, a productive part of society definitely and, and you know we t- talked about self-reflection as well and and you know uh, the leader of the worldwide I mean, the Muslim community often says spiritual ref- yeah. uh, self-reflection yeah. as well so I think that you know you could so easily reflect on anything like you said like your lunch you're like oh should I have eaten that or <laughs> you know is that good for my, my working out schedule or whatever but very often you can very easily forget to reflect am i doing enough spiritually am Mm. i doing enough to create a you know a good relationship with my parents or my children like thinking about these types of things and reflecting on these things i think are really beneficial the promised messiah the founder of the amdi muslim community he also said this uh, that every every day or every night uh, uh, when you go to sleep should be you should think about have i spent my day uh, in, in, in righteousness have yeah. I spent my day in the fear of God Almighty meaning to do all of these things that God Almighty has uh, has, ex- has expected from me yeah. or is, is ex- expects from me actually and every morning when you wake up the night should testify that you have spent your night in again in the fear of God Almighty and in the rem- or the day in the remembrance of God Almighty along these lines yeah. but to to 
to reflect at night time and to reflect in the daytime that what have I done with my life? I mean, the question was asked about the purpose of life when we were yeah. speaking to uh, Dr. Nicholas Kadaras. Uh, what is the purpose of life? I mean, yeah. for us as Muslims, w- we know the purpose of life. Yeah. But if you say it like that, you know, well, the purpose of life is to worship God Almighty. Yeah. Sounds very boring. Yeah. I get that. But again, this is where deep thinking comes <laughs> in. Exactly. You've got to get past that. <laughs> You've you got to get past that. Yeah. There's so much more that comes into play. And mm. one more thing I wanted to ask. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is yeah, what I remembered from mm. uh, speaking to Professor Kettler. Attention. Yeah. Attention span. And I was linking it when he was talking about this. I was linking it to, to, to the prayer. Yeah. God Almighty in the Holy Quran has not said to pray. He didn't say to pray the prayer. Yeah. To, to lip service. To lips. Yeah. Mm. He says observe. The word itself is used is is, is called iqama, yeah. right? That you have to erect prayer. Mm. What does that mean? Something that you erect, something that you stand up, that means the possibility of it to fall is there as well. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens. I mean, we, how many times have we stood in prayer and your thoughts just start just to wander off. One day, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, d- d- did I switch off the you know, washing machine or whatever it is? Yeah. Did I do Muslim? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> so these yeah. things, and then you have to bring it back. You have to focus over and over and over again, and that's where the struggle is. Yeah. It, if it was that easy, you know, the reward of that, then, then you have the question of reward that falls into into this as well. So, yeah, very, very interesting discussion that we've had with Professor Kettler. Thank you so much for your time. Now, uh, we are going to go to the five o'clock news in just a little bit. And then after that, we are still going to t- uh, keep talking about this. We still have a few more guests with us on the line. Jeff Petty is going to uh, join us after the news at five as well as. Uh, Imam Alim Mahmoud from Ghana and we're also going to speak to a student of 15 years of age and uh, ask her how these things can be applied in a student life because for us it's been quite some time we've, yeah. we've gone through that <laughs> but we clearly cannot talk about that you are listening to the Drive Time Show here on The Voice of Islam today with myself Reza and Fahim we're talking about deep thinking of reflection and um, everything around that topic. Again, if you have any questions, do call us. If you have any comments, do send us a tweet or a comment on Instagram. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, good afternoon, peace be upon you and welcome back to The Draft Time Show here on The Voice of Islam today with myself, Raza and Fahim. We are talking about deep thinking, reflection and introspection. Just before the news, we were talking to Professor Todd Kettler 
who is an associate professor of educational psychology at the Baylor University in Texas in the United States. And what an interesting conversation we've had. We spoke about self-reflection, inward self-reflection, and we're going to talk a little bit about outward deep thinking. Um, and again, if you want to get in contact with us, 0208-687-7878 is the number for you to call. If you want to send us a tweet, do so at Voice of Islam UK. And if you have Instagram, I'm sure you do, go to our Instagram story, Voice of Islam UK, and ask... Uh, and, and answer this very small question of ours. When are you most likely to stop and reflect? Now, understanding and appreciation can also be outward looking. Reflecting on the world around you now and in the past. The founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community, His Holiness Hazrat Mizah Ghulam Hamad whom be peace, stressed the importance of outward reflection in understanding his claim to be the Messiah. He pointed to the parallels between the state of the Jews before the advent of Jesus, peace be upon him, and the state of the Muslims before his own advent. And he said that now, let the eyes that can see and the hearts that can be just and the minds that can reflect, ponder over this point and weigh and consider whether the two circumstances are equal or not. Set aside even the prophecies for a while and just examine it rationally as a research scholar and see whether or not the resemblance between the Muslims of today and the Jews of the time of Jesus is the same as one shoe resembling the other. Carefully read the Gospels and reflect whether or not what Hazrat Masih, meaning Jesus, peace be upon him, spoke of regarding the rabbis and the jurists of the Jews and how he exposed their dishonesty can be found in the Muslim clerics of the present time. This is in the Testimony of the Holy Quran in one of his books, page 98. Now, it would be impossible to make such a comparison without looking at both situation, uh, situations as an observer, meaning outwardly as well as inwardly. So this then makes for critical thinking too. How can we ensure deep learning is taking place? Not just from the educational side of point of view, but I think... This is something that needs to be or can be a applicable to pretty much everything that we do in life. Yeah, definitely. I think the, uh, being more conscious of it will definitely yeah. help, right? Um, I personally um, uh, spoke, uh, I, I did Itikaf, which is, is spending oh, 10 yes, days yes. Um, at the end of uh, Ramadan um, in the mosque. And I felt like I did my most deep thinking ever True. there with completely, you know, no phone, no nothing. And taking that time to to really reflect and what i what i found myself doing is is uh you know these attributes of god mm. and, and i sat there and i thought about okay to be the most knowledgeable being of the universe right like to actually start to think about that and yeah. and to deep think on that was just incredible and and it's it makes you appreciate things so much so i, I definitely agree and, and i think in today's day and age you cannot stress enough on the on the importance of doing it once in your lifetime yep. at least. Definitely. I mean, well, you can probably do it every year, or every couple of years, but for 10 days when you're really secluded from everything, when you cut off from everything, just the just bare minimum, even, you know, there, there's, I say this quite a lot, and I think I've mentioned this many times here on the Drive Time Show as well. There's a saying in, in the Persian language Mm. Um, that's, that talks about if you want to increase in your spirituality, you have to decrease in three things. Okay. So that's less talking, mm -hmm. less eating, and less sleeping. All of these three things, if you decrease them, which we do during the month of Ramadan yep. at least, that automatically increases your spiritual output, your spiritual yeah. energy, whatever it is. Definitely. Because you're you're concentrating, you're focusing, 
for other things, with other things, on other things, for for, for the sake of God Almighty. Yeah, because you could waste a lot of time doing oh, all yeah, of those things, right? You can talk you all day. You eat too much, and then you talk about it for half an hour, yeah. how much you ate and why you shouldn't have eaten yeah. that much. And then, and then you have to fall asleep. You <laughs> <laughs> have to fall asleep and talk about yeah. it. <laughs> all right, our next guest for today is Jeff Petty. He's an author of Teaching Today, an expert on teaching and learning, Jeff, good afternoon, peace upon you, and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Well, thank you, thank you. Great to have you on. Thank you, first of all, for joining us today. What is meaning-making, and why is it important in, in understanding how learning takes place? Well, when somebody learns something, uh, they make their own version of um, what you've taught them, um, they don't just recall exactly what you said. Yeah. And in any case, they can't know everything that you know around that topic. Um, so they try to make their own version of it, and that's called meaning-making, and they try to link it with what they already know. Obviously, they can't link it to what you know. Hmm. Um, so learning is a very active process where the student makes their own version of what, um, of what you've taught them or what they've learned just informally. So, uh, so basically, for example, like, my, sorry. Yeah my, do- yeah, my daughter, for example, thought that diarrhea meant earache, uh, because diarrhea, you know, is a dire, yeah, as yeah. in bad, yeah, yeah. ear, as in ear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, and, um, so, but, and if you watch kids, you know, two-year-old kids, they do this all the time. They, they make misjudgments. They, they yeah. learn things r- incorrectly. But when we grow up, we don't change. We continue yeah. to make our own version of what we've learned. Yeah, if you were to read that word on yeah. paper, you would, I, would, I don't even know what to make out of that. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to say it. It's spelled very strangely, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> very strangely. Now, Jeff, you are a great advocate of active learning. If I can ask you, how can we ensure it is the brain that is activated in the learning process and someone is not simply going through, you know, the, the motions, if I can say that? No pun yeah, intended. I, it's, um, I, I think it's down to what the, the tasks that the teacher sets. So if the teacher sets a task that requires the student to think with the information that they've been given, think with what they're learning, think with what they've been taught, um, problem solve with it or analyze it or compare it with something else. What are the similarities? What are the differences? Um, to think with the information, then they're going to get a much deeper understanding uh, than if they just listen to the information being given. I mean, you can listen to a radio program um, and not really be paying attention and you not, and not learn because you're sort of thinking of something else. And the same would go in a classroom. Uh, but if um, the student has got to think with the information that they've just heard, then they've got to make sense of it, they've got to process it, and they're more likely to understand it and more likely to uh, remember it. I can definitely agree with that with them. Um, Zoom meetings these days, you can <laughs> you can uh, be passively participating uh, behind the camera. <laughs> also, um, so in your book, uh, Evidence-Based Teaching, you refer to productive thinking skills as a way to teach intelligence. Could you elaborate a bit more about what these skills are? Well, there's a, there's a lot of them. Um, essentially, they're the skills that we use when we let's say if we think about a student they 
the skills they use perhaps if they're studying something and writing a summary of it. Um, so if they're reading a piece of text, um, they might um, read it a couple of times and they might underline the key points in the, on the te in the text if they've got it on paper. Um, and they then, they then might summarize it in a little mind map or something and then write a, a precy, uh, a summary of it. If they did that, if they did the underlining and the mind mapping and so on, they'd end up with quite a good summary. Um, but if they just read it and then tried to write a summary straight away, they'd probably do quite a bad job. Mm. And in fact, if um, the researchers that have looked at this have found that if students do underlining and mind mapping and so on, um, and drafting and redrafting, um, if they're sort of 12-year-old, um, then often a teacher who doesn't know that student thinks the student's about 15 or 16 years old because it just the work just looks more mature. And similarly, if a 15 or 16-year-old doesn't use those strategies, then their work looks like a 12-year-old's. So, you know, we get more intelligent with with time. We obviously we all feel that we are more capable aged 18 than we were when we were 11. Were 11. We've still got the same brain. What happened? Um, I mean, partly it was to do with growth, but a lot of it was to do with learning. And if students are taught these sub skills, these gen generic skills they're sometimes called, because they're very general and can be used in lots of different contexts. Um, if they get taught to use those skills, like underlining, like um, drafting and redrafting, like summarizing with a mind map and so on, um, then they produce more intelligent, more, more effective work. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of teachers tend to teach just the content, just the facts that students need to know, and they forget about the skills that they also need. Um, and we need, I feel strongly that we need to spend much more time teaching students skills like reading for understanding, like preparing and writing and so on. I was going to ask you that, that with time, we've changed our curriculum in different countries. Uh, you have to go according to you know the, the the developments that are happening in the world. I remember when we were growing up, nine eleven was not part of the curriculum. Now I've seen it in in certain history books and textbooks. It is part as as history goes along, but it's just the 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 the, the stuff that is being taught. As you mentioned, the the methods that uh, you need to maybe apply um, these different methods that you mentioned. How comes there's no focus on that? Is it not being taught to this to, to the teachers or is it being taught to the teachers but because of the pressure from all sides the teachers are not able to 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 deliver that to to the students? Well, what's what's the reason? Well, a lot of a lot of teachers do do it. Good teachers do do it and they make it clear to students how to you know how to plan writing and and mm. do and and so on and they make, they it doesn't actually require a very great deal more time uh, to teach that. Um, because those students can be learning facts at the same time. Um, so you can teach students facts by getting them to write summaries, for example, and then you could say what facts, have, at the end of the lesson, you can say what facts have we learned, but also what skills did we use in order to, to, to learn those facts? You know, we talk about underlining or whatever yeah. the, the students did. 
Um, so it doesn't take a lot of extra time, but the curriculum of teacher training isn't focused on teaching methods sufficiently. It's We tend to ignore the actual teaching methods, techniques, strategies, and so on that teachers could use in the classroom and, and deal with a lot of other things, which I think is a terrible shame. And it's clear that teaching methodology has more impact on students' achievement than any other factor yeah. we can change. So it seems crazy not to do that. There's also a problem in that some theorists think that um, you can't teach skills. Um, you know, it's a sort of right-wing view, oddly. Mm. Um, uh, Michael Gove, uh, who resigned recently, <laughs> um, uh, one of the many. Uh, he he was he was once education secretary, and um, he was advised that it was impossible to teach skills. You could only teach knowledge, and um, and though those theorists said that the more knowledge you've got, then the better your writing will be, for example. Mm. Well, that's true, but that doesn't mean you can't also teach students to, say, make a, make a plan before they start writing and uh, uh, and so on, you know, teach students how to plan writing before they start writing. And people who plan their writing before they write do a better job than the ones that don't. So it seems crazy not to teach them that. But there are some theorists, believe it or not, who say you can't teach skills, which is nonsense. But uh, there we go. <laughs> and, yeah, that's really interesting. So um, would you say, uh, so you've argued about that there's um, seven different mindsets that uh, actually aid creativity. Does does the mind go through all of these mindsets before having a great idea or, or, or just some of them? Well, it's six, actually, uh, in a way. Uh, but But... Basically, um, I've written a book about, um, it's called um, How to Be Better at Creativity, and it breaks creativity into six phases. And actually, this was very, very well reviewed in a Cambridge University study that said it was one of the best models of creativity. But um, there's one, th you know, if, if a lot of people, when they're being, when they, who are not very creative, will just have the first idea that comes into their head, they'll they'll sort of produce it as a draft and then they'll say I've finished and then think oh I'm not very creative it wasn't very good um, but really creative people will go through six phases and not in any particular order but they'll go through the inspiration phase which um, developing ideas then they might think that go through a clarification phase which is you know what am I trying to achieve here? What, 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 you know, what am I trying to make? What am I trying to do exactly? Um, then they might go through a, a distillation phase where they look at all the ideas they've had, because the inspiration is 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 mine is sort of um, uh, getting lots and lots of ideas. So you might need to choose one to work on. Um, so distillation would be choosing which one. Um, then when you've chosen the ones that look like they're going to get you where you want to go, you do, might do a perspiration phase where you critically and enthusiastically sort of produce a draft uh, of, you know, of your essay or your design for a pullover or whatever it is. Um, and, um, and then you might evaluate it, you know, what's good, what's bad about this design or this essay or whatever, how could mm -hmm. it be improved? And then you might do another draft and so on. And there's another phase called the incubation phase where you just leave the work alone for a day or half a day or whatever um, so that you can 
your subconscious can work on it. It's really particularly good if you can sleep on things. Um, and then you go back to it. Um, and then often you say, oh, there's something wrong with this. You know, it would be much better if I did it like so-and-so. Um, so those six phases, inspiration, clarification, distillation, perspiration, incubation, and evaluation, uh, I think that anybody involved in creative work will go through those phases, not necessarily just once, very often in a very random way, doesn't really matter about the order. But the trouble is they all have very different mindsets. So the inspiration, when you're trying to develop lots of ideas, you need to be deeply engrossed, you need to be fearless, you need to be free, you know. Um, but whereas the clarification phase, you know, where you try to think, what am I trying to do here exactly? You're being more strategic, uh, you're being more sort of analytical in your thinking. Uh, when you're trying to choose which idea to work on, you're being positive, but you're being strategic as well. This idea is likely to get me where I want to go, that one won't. And you're perhaps being fairly intrepid too, um, just choosing an idea which is quite brave, but you know is going to get you there sort of thing. Then there's perspiration. That requires another mindset where you're uncritical, you're enthusiastic, you're trying really hard and just throwing everything at it, and you're believing in yourself a lot. Um, but you, you need the exact opposite mindset when you're evaluating your work. You need to be critical. You need to be willing to learn. You need to think there are things wrong with this. How could they be improved? Um, and in the incubation phase, you're just leaving it. You're unhurried. You're trusting that you can find a solution and you're pretty forgetful about the work. So um, there's lots of sort of parts to being creative, lots of different um, strategies that you use at different times, like different tools in a way, like yeah. when you play golf, you have different, you know, different clubs and you need to choose which club to use when. And the, each of those mindsets has a different each of those, sorry, each of those strategies, inspiration, clarification, and so on, has a different mindset, a different approach, sometimes being critical, sometimes being uncritical, and so on. Right. So, like, in my career, I've, I've often heard, like, people say, you know, uh, processes are the enemy of creativity. So, like, by making creativity so specific, are you not in danger of stifling creativity in itself? No, you're, you're, it's the exact opposite, I think. Um, you know, unless you understand the processes that you go through, you can never be truly creative, I think. Mm. Um, th there, is, there are sort of intuitive and playful ways of developing ideas, but to, um, you know, for getting ideas, but getting ideas is only one part of creativity. Um, and these are very, very generalized. They're nothing to do with what you're trying to achieve or... Um, how you're going to achieve them exactly. Uh, they're just helping you to think in different ways at different times to get the most out of you and become more creative. Um, and whenever I've interviewed people who are extremely creative, and I've interviewed Salman Rushdie once briefly, um, they and I told them about this model, they all absolutely agreed with with the different mindsets and the different processes that uh, they feel they go through, but often they do it intuitively. <clears throat> I think people who think they're uncreative often just haven't intuitively learned these six phases and don't um, use those phases as well as they might. Jeff, and there's another problem, and that is that some people just believe that creativity is a matter of intelligence or yeah. gift. 
it's not something that you can work on and improve and we know that people get better at yeah. any area of creative endeavor if they try to learn and uh, do it for longer and have more experience wonderful author of teaching today an expert on teaching and learning jeff patty with us on the line jeff thank you so much for your time it was great to have you on well thank you for, uh, for asking me <laughs> take care <laughs> thank have a you good one take thanks care. very much Bye. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. There you have it. Um, if you want to give us a call, you can do so. And if you want to get us uh, 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 send us a comment on Instagram on the question, when are you most likely to stop and reflect? Go to Voice of Islam UK on Instagram. Now, before we continue, um, just very briefly. We're going to, uh, actually, no, let's just go to our next guest for today. And then we're going to play a short clip of His Holiness, the fourth caliph of the Amni Muslim community. And he was asked a question on getting lost inward by Isabel Foster in May 1996. Um, but here with us on the line, no stranger to the Drive Time Show at least, is our next guest, Imam Mahmoud Alim from uh, the lovely country of Ghana is with us on the line. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Drive Time Show, Imam Alim. Jazakallah for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Um, we have been discussing chapter 34, verse 47 of the Holy Quran <coughs> and the importance of reflection. We mentioned that verse in the beginning for the benefit of our listeners. It says that, Say to them, I exhort you to do one thing, and that is that you stand before Allah two and two or singly and reflect. How does it increase reflective thinking and what is the significance of praying two and two uh, thank you very much uh, <clears throat> in fact uh, reflection or you say reflecting it is uh, one of the distinctive feature of Islam you know Islam is a religion that does not impose you know its opinion on you <clears throat> so it gives you the chance to to reflect and to ponder over something and you come out with your, you know, this thing. Because there is, uh, it is believed that in every soul, Allah has imbibed that, uh, you know, the answers to those things, then and the love of Allah and uh, His, His, uh, what do you call it, uh, um, understanding has been already created in the nature of a human being. So that is reflection. But here, if uh, we cannot uh, narrow this verse of the Holy Quran to the praying alone, like if someone may think that it is only in the course of your prayer that you are offering your five-day prayers or tahajjud or whatever, and then you are reflecting. It is besides that, you know, the Quran is trying to exhort the people that they should, they should, they should reflect. How does it increase uh, reflective thinking is that, you know, you think as a single soul, as, as one individual. But when you come together, two, two, or one, one, in Islam here, or this verse of the Holy Quran, is not saying, make a group. It's not trying to make a group, that group thinking. But it is rather trying to say that those who have uh, the, the capacity to, to reflect, they should come together because it is quite possible that your thinking may be a slightly different from the other person and when your thinking and your reflection uh, put together with your other brother's thinking 
they might, you know, come out with a, a, even an informed decision. Mm. Because if you read the verses before and the verses after, they are talking about the, you know, the truthfulness of the Holy Prophet and other, uh, about the punishment and other things. And people are, Allah is, uh, you know, admonishing them that don't, don't just get up and uh, reject the truth which has come to you. But you should, you should think about it. And you should see that how it has brought about the change. You know, that is the reflective thinking. And uh, you can say it is, a, it is trying to ask us to, to be logical. Hmm. Not only the spiritual way of uh, thinking, but to be more logical. So in this way, it, is, it cuts across. It is not only addressing, uh, per se, believers, but all other people. Because when you sincerely reflect and you sincerely think about it logically on, on some issues, then it is, there is a likelihood that you come out with a, a, a better decision or a better understanding. Because you, you know and you can grasp the issue and you know what the answer is because otherwise yes. you're just being told and you just have to accept it. Unless yes. it doesn't yes. make sense to you, it's, it's, it's difficult for us to, to do certain things. Isn't it? Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, um, so, you know, as Muslims, we always look to the um, Prophet Muhammad, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So how, how did he, he reflect and, and what were his practices? Well, <laughs> you know, that's uh, uh, the status of the Holy Prophet, or for that matter, you can say all Prophets of Allah, they belong to a different category at all. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a different ballgame. The reason is that, you know, we cannot compare uh, the, the group of prophets and for that matter the saints of Allah and those who have their selves in the love of Allah with other philosophers or the worldly you know, thinkers and philosophers and, and what have you. They, they are a different, different category of people. And one thing about this group of people, that is the prophets of Allah, whether Jesus or Isaac or Moses and on top of them, Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu all of them, they are a people that are created to benefit human beings, to benefit humankind. They are purposely created for a very high purpose. And for that matter, they are in the control of Allah the Almighty himself, you see. And their, their reflection, if they reflect, it is a kind of, you know, it's a very small word, or I don't want to say uh, it's disrespectful in, in any way, but a kind of disrespectful also. They are in a different, you know, uh, I mean, level that they are, they are doing. So their reflection is, is for the matter, as a matter of fact, is talking to Allah the Almighty. Yeah. And Prophet Muzayah, Allah has emphatically mentioned it uh, in his writings that uh, the human beings, they, they, they do two types of talking. You know, when Prophet uh, Muhammad says that when uh, somebody is sitting idle, you may think that the person is sitting idle and he is not doing anything, but he's, as, as a matter of fact, he's talking. His mind is continuously thinking something and he is thinking about something, he's talking to himself and whatever. And Prophet Muhammad says that the prophets of Allah, they... They talk to their Creator. They talk to Allah the Almighty. So for their their reflection is always the remembrance of Allah, zikr ilahi. 
So they are always engaged in that zikr-e ilahi. And for that matter, you know, if you read uh, very uh, this book uh, of Mawlid Gulam Rasul Rajaki Sahib, uh, his uh, autobiography, or what do you call it? Uh, I, 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 I am not remembering the name uh, of his book. He has mentioned all those things and has his personal discourses and experiences that anytime he got a chance, he just sat somewhere and he was just remembering and talking to his creator. Hmm. So the reflection of Holy Prophet Muhammad Wasallam was the the talking to his creator that is the remembrance of Allah and as a result of that Allah's uh, light was always falling on him and giving him a new a new insight all the time so he was completely in a in a in a, what do you call it um, in the direct guidance of Allah the Almighty and this was as a result of that his uh, love of Allah and his remembrance, and then uh, and uh, that was his reflection. You can say his type of reflection that yeah. he used to do. No, definitely, and, and you know, prophets uh, are, are definitely in a different league. Um, so it, it's it's e- like we've discussed earlier in the show. Like it, it's easy to get into negative thoughts. So how how what would, what advice could you give us that um, how can we ensure we do not fall into these negative thoughts when we <coughs> inwardly reflect yeah uh, the 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 right of islam as i earlier mentioned it it is a very uh, long discussion that prophet islam has uh, done and in that order the prophet islam has uh, advised that you always remember that kalam, he is talking about the kalam of nas, the person talking to himself. He says it is of two types, as I said earlier. So Hazur said that if you continue talking to yourself, then there is a likelihood that you will go to into the negative thoughts. Why? Because you will come under the influence of that Satan. You know, you start thinking of something bad that has happened to you or someone has done something to you. When you think about it, then the ill feeling starts coming in your, your, your heart. Then you start uh, having envy. Then sometimes you start having some hatred. Then you start having some... It depends on your thoughts that what will be the outcome of your, your, your thought process will determine the type of negativity that will come into your heart. Whether it will be envy, whether it will be hatred or arrogance or whatever. So the Prime Minister says that if you continue doing that, then you will be be accountable for that because you will not be able to repair this thing. So the best is that to save yourself from the negative thoughts, the best is that that you always talk to your Creator and you in, engage yourself into certain prayers and certain remembrance of Allah that will rather mellow your heart. Hmm. It will soften your feelings about others because you you don't care. You don't care about those uh, minor issues when you are engrossed with the Creator, with the with your Creator, that is Allah Almighty. So that you you abstain from those negative thoughts by engaging uh, into those uh, you know positive thinking like you do istighfar, you seek Allah's forgiveness because you start thinking about your own shortcomings. Then you also 
start thinking about promises, you start thinking about how Allah the Almighty has the 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 absolute power to to always benefit you and to always safeguard you from any kind of you know harm that may come you know in your way. So when you do that, that is that the positivity the positivity continue increasing in your heart, and you 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 safeguard yourself. Wow. That was that was <laughs> that was powerful. <laughs> Definitely, and so like um, with with Islam's advice, you know, it gives us so much advice for life. And and um, what what Islam what what advice do we get from Islam about gratitude and reflective thinking? You kind of touched on it a bit, but yeah, it it appears that all your questions are you know interrelated to each other. <laughs> <laughs> this is one big question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Certainly, that is the advice, you know, uh, like in one of his uh, poems, the Prime Minister of Islam says, Atl gar ilham naho. Mm. That, uh, you know, the wisdom is just blind. If it is not enlightened by, by Allah's, it is not kindled by Allah's love, yeah. Allah's light. And that light comes through the prophets and uh, through his prophets and through his personal love. So, there is no harm in philosophical thinking and uh, pondering over the the, the creation of heaven and earth and whatever that is even advised in the holy quran but the the advice that islam gives us that there is a very narrow path so when you continue thinking that way then remember that your wisdom does not give you the absolute truth unless you experience the love of your creator and you try to engage yourself in those prayers that he should give you the the the, the, the true answer to your reflecting to, to your reflections to your reflective thinking so that is the advice that the that islam gives us in the Quran, has extensively explained in his writings which are so marvelous that in short a short period of time you cannot even mention all of those Imam Alim, lastly, I want to ask you about um, are there any prayers that can help us get the most of our thought process? Um, specifically, you know, in the times that we live in, where, as you said, you know, the, this, this, uh, when the promised Messiah, peace and blessings of Allah, uh, peace be upon him, was talking about, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people talking to themselves when they're alone, um, all that, that stress and that m- these mental health issues that we are facing because of the the things that surround us, the pressures of the society, of work, family, and whatnot. Um, surely, exactly. in, in, in the remembrance of God Almighty, in His words, in the words of the Prophet, is there anything for us to, to, to recite or to, to, to say? Yeah, I I think if I'm not wrong, uh, Muslim Allah, he once uh, you know, delivered a sermon and uh, he uh, explained uh, the importance of the Rushrif, that is the this uh, what do you call it uh, praying uh, how do we say it in English like uh, the, the salutation, the sal- to, the Holy Prophet yes. Muhammad, yes. salutation to the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallam, and also he added uh, istighfar which is seeking Allah's forgiveness and uh, asking him to you know to turn to him again and again with uh, with uh, all humility and then he also mentioned la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah that is uh, that there is no absolute power and there is nothing that that can overcome you but allah 
Allah's power is always supreme. Mm-hmm. So when he mentioned these three things, you know, in his sermon, then what uh, I can't recollect exactly who said it, but he said that uh, who listened to his his uh, uh, sermon, and he said that these things are some of those things we we do not just give it to people like that. They have to serve us for 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 many years and what and what. But you have just given them <laughs> in just <laughs> in just one sermon. So for free <laughs> because he was he was so inspired that that these are the mysteries of life yeah. that you have just disclosed them to uh, it to them and honestly speaking you know it should not be the the the, the word of our mouth when we are seeking uh, istighfar that is uh, allah's forgiveness that you know it it will only work if we really confess you know the confession comes before seeking forgiveness otherwise it becomes like a useless thing but if i say maybe oh please forgive me but in my heart i know or i have i'm telling myself oh as for alim you are right you are right but this man because he knows that he will not be happy if i if don't say it it means that mm. this is not sincere so but if honestly in my heart i know that yes i confess that i am wrong and then i with all my humility i seek allah's forgiveness then there is a hope that allah will shower his blessings on us so islam uh, you say that there are, what are those prayers then fundamentally istighfar is one thing and then the durood sharif allahumma salli ala muhammadin wa ala ali muhammadin is one thing and uh, then uh, then the prime minister of islam has has been revealed uh, those two phrases which are mentioned in the holy prophet sallam's traditions also subhanallah wa bihamdihi subhanallahi lazim about which the prophet said that uh, even though they are very they, they appear to be very small phrases but they are very heavy yeah, in yeah. their scale yeah. in their scale and uh, if you uh, and they are very you know loved by allah the almighty they are, what are they subhanallah wa bihamdihi subhanallahi lazim that allah is, uh, holy is allah with all his praise and holy is allah with all, you know uh, Uh, the, the great one yeah. the mighty and the prime minister of islam has combined it with the rushrif that is subhanallah wa bihamdihi subhanallah alazim allahumma salli ala muhammadin wa ali muhammad and it was also revealed to the prime minister of islam so and if you uh, you know you 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 just uh, flip over the the pages of the hazur's sermons uh, the previous sermons hazur has also repeatedly mentioned these two or three things over and over again that we should continue remembering them and there are other prayers as well but you know the uh, the 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 basic the fundamental thing in all these prayers is the the what i said earlier that confession of yeah. a human being and honestly sincerely believing that to whom i am praying he has the absolute power to 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 help me to to embrace me mm. and to shower his blessings upon me then you will see that these prayers will work and on top of these prayers our prayers will will, will work even wonders if they are combined with the prayers of father clifford masi the fifth ayatollah bin swazis because if you because he prays and he is the one whose prayers are uh, listened by allah the almighty <laughs> more than anybody else yeah because he is the 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 caliph of the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam in this age 
Imam Ali Mahmoud, as always, mind-blowing answers and very, very interesting to talk to you. Um, and, and we're very, very grateful for your time. Jazakumullah, Sanazah. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you Yeah, definitely need to listen to this one back. <laughs> yeah. Some gems in there. Some gems in there, no doubt. Um, so there you have it. Uh, some of the prayers of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, as well as um, uh, you know, a kind of a was a revelation to the promised Messiah on whom be peace. That you can pray in 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 times of when you well in times of need, but also sometimes just just reflecting and thinking about what life actually is and what life means definitely and and i really liked um how you mentioned that uh you know if you talk to yourself you yeah. can uh, yeah. you can be quite negative and, yeah. and critical of yourself um but when you're talking to god like you know it's yeah. like a good friend and and you know you you, you have someone who who may not reply in the in the typical mm. way but would would make you feel heard and and i think it can really help and I think especially this was very uh, such a powerful thing for for the younger generation. But but I mean we've gone through that when yeah. sometimes you have well now we look at that time and say well it's a life of 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 luxury. You had no worries. Yeah. You had nothing to think about. You had no <laughs> obligations. No nothing. But I think if you go through that, every generation probably faces the same issues. Of bullying, of of, yep. of uh, being ridiculed, of not fitting in, of mm-hmm. identity crisis—you name it. So many different aspects nowadays, mental health and all that stress uh, involved in that. And I think for the for the younger listeners out there, or even if you are a parent listening out there, and and talk to your child, that uh, this is something that maybe you can try. Yeah. What's the harm in that? Instead Definitely. of talking to yourself and saying this is wrong with you, this is wrong with you, this is wrong with you, and I don't yeah. fit into this, I don't fit into that. Talk to the one who made you yeah. in the perfect sense. Yeah. Who thought and I mean it's it's the creator who, who made knows you, you better than who anyone. Who knows you better than <laughs> anyone. <laughs> exactly. Wow. <laughs> All right. Now zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call. We were talking about uh, the, the the positives of 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 uh, deep thinking, looking at the angle of education and some of the skills that you can learn and you can you can adopt on that. Um, and someone who probably I'm not sure how much of that is actually taught today and how much of that can be useful. Uh, that's something that we're going to ask our next guest for today. She's a 15 year old student. And we're going to talk to Shafia today. Assalamu alaikum, Shafia, and welcome. No, actually, Shafia is not with us on the line just yet. Ah, yeah, she, there she is, Shafia. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum, Islam. first of all, thank you very much for joining us today. If I can ask you, as a student, are you encouraged to reflect and look back on your learning? Do you find it helpful, helpful or does it just you know slow you down? Some of our guests that we've spoken to, they 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 came uh, with this angle that you're being taught something. Look back, and 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 how you got to that. Um, yeah, so I think in schools especially, it's definitely encouraged as there's lots of content to get through in the school year, and yet there's only so much time to be able to master it all completely. So looking back helps to refresh the mind in recalling what was learned and filling any gaps of knowledge. 
within the content scheme. Um, I think it's somewhat helpful, but often it doesn't really account for the situation a student is in because there's only so much time that you have to keep on going back over work that's already been done. And keep on if you keep on going back over work you've already done, it will definitely leak into the time you have at home, which will reduce the amount of time that a student has to get away from schoolwork and do other things. So I think it's helpful in theory, but it can be impractical at times because students already have to study the current content they are learning and constant recall of work already done will just add on to the load. Definitely. And um, so, you know, there's so much information out there these days. You know, the Internet just has a vast amount, right? Google does most of the thinking for us. So in, in what sense would you say it perhaps just not that important to think slowly and deeply about everything? Um, I think it's very important to slow down and process things actually um, rather than relying on the internet to get all of your information because by constantly using Google to get all the information you need I think there becomes a mindset within that things come easy and as soon as you need an answer you can gain it immediately and I think that this sort of mindset causes one to have a heavily reduced thought process when answering a question, as we know that we can just get the answer from the internet itself. And perhaps we already know some of the answer or can give ourselves one by just thinking through it. But when a habit has been set in the mind of turning to Google for rapid information as soon as you want it, I think there's significantly less thinking involved. And I think this can be actually quite damaging or our problem-solving skills, and it can cause us to be reliant on the internet for any manner of questions in life. But what will you do if you find yourself in a situation with no Wi-Fi? Then you <laughs> can't use Google, you can only use your mind. That's true. Uh, Shafi, how easy, if I can ask you, how, how easy will you and your friends find it to just sit quietly and maybe just look out the window or or just think no phones no talking just just thinking and reflecting um well i think it definitely depends on the situation and who it is i'm with so for example if i'm alone and i'm on the bus coming home from school i rarely do anything else other than look out the window because i find it to be a really introspective and peaceful time i like it just thinking by myself looking out the window but if i was at home looking through the window i would probably get really bored because <laughs> i'd be looking at something i would have seen so many times already yeah. i would uh, probably have more distractions around me like my family the tv or my phone yeah and and, and you'll be asked the question is everything okay <laughs> When you're looking at the window. Yeah, yeah, that, that as well, yeah. <laughs> awesome. And, um, so you've been doing some uh, work experience in a primary school. Would you say there is a difference in the way younger children ask questions from the way teenagers do? Uh, yeah, I think that younger children often ask open-ended questions uh, as they need more information and help. Obviously, you know, children, younger children, they haven't got all the information that they need yet and so um, the questions they ask often require a lot more effort to be answered whereas teenagers usually know the gist of what it is they need to do and so the questions they ask require less effort to be answered but I think it's very dependent on the situation hmm. and I think that both children and teenagers are still at the stage where questions are a very important tool 
that need to be utilised by them in order to increase knowledge and intelligence. Wonderful. I don't think neither at this stage yeah. the asking questions is not that necessary or needed. It's important for both to ask questions whenever the need arises. Shafia, wonderful to talk to you. Jazakallah, thank you so much for your time and we wish you all the best for your future and the studies up ahead. Jazakallah once again. Assalamualaikum. And that brings us to the end of today's program. The opening verse that we've read out reminds us that examining your life can be done alone or with others, but it focus its focus must be towards God, not oneself. And too much inward reflection to discover yourself only fuels the ego, as the fourth leader of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has pointed out. Learning how to build complex thinking skills helps us to be better thinkers and I hope and we pray that this show gave you some sort of idea and some inspiration to just sit there sometime and just reflect and reflect on the right things and some of the ways to do that we've shown you. Today's uh, research was researched and produced by Nabila Shah. We're going to conclude with a clip of his of the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Tahir Ahmed and with that we're going to take leave. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Uh, you were talking earlier on about the trip within yourself and finding ourselves that way. I'm a firm believer in that, and I wonder what do you do when you get lost in this trip within yourself? What is the advice you could give? Thank you. You see, it is a very, very uh, uncertain process in so many ways. It can lead to illusions most often than not. And it can also lead to the inner truth. What you become after that inward journey will decide the issue, in fact. If after striking the fountainhead of truth from within your soul, you emerge as a godly person, you know, with a vision, with a determination, with a mission, with a dedication to the cause of goodness, then most certainly one can say that this internal experience was uh, a true experience which was based on ultimate truth. If not, if it only becomes a source of, uh, you know, display of one's power over others, like the yogis, for instance, do, or display of self-achievement, which can not bring about any changes in human society, then it's useless and meaningless. Then one is sunk into the, his ego, he's not drowned to return, he's sunk and lost. You see, that is important because nowadays a lot of such literature is gaining popularity among particularly the Western people because they are tired of overmuch materialism, because deep inside they know they want to live again. So this reincarnation, these yogic practices, this creation of an inner self which you reach and then you reach the source of wisdom, they are all means of your drawing yourself into self-oblivion. It's a sort of drug for which you don't have to pay much anyway, of course. But in 
ultimate analysis, it is a drug addiction. Because if such things do not bring about a transformation in your character, making you a useful uh, member of the society who is dedicated for the cause of the whole human society, then this truth may be termed anything, but it would not lead to God. So we believe in introspection only in the sense that your journey begins with belief in God, not without Him in search of truth. Only then you are safe. And then you begin to understand the message is all around you. This is the meaning of a verse of the Holy Quran, exactly in answer to your question. That, in short, the meaning is that only those are wise among human beings who keep remembering God day and night while they are reclining or sitting or standing or walking about and then contemplate on the mysteries of nature. Then they delve deeper into the underlying causes of things. And suddenly their eyes are open to a well-charted-out plan of things, a scheme of things, where every finger leads to God. So they begin, they begin their journey from God, with God, and reach the second stage of ultimate... Uh, inner satisfaction that what they had believed in was not just myth, it was not just faith. It was a reality fully supported by the natural phenomena. Because then they will begin to see the hand of God in every law which is enacted in nature. They will begin to see God working in themselves, in their eyes, in their brains, in their faculty of speech, in their faculty of hearing, in their faculty of touch, in their faculty of computation, the way kidneys are made, the way hearts are manufactured and they work, and the inner system in man, and the reproduction, and how man's vision is widened beyond all comparison to the vision of the earlier forms of life where he can reach not only the ends of space, but also the beginning of time. And he can reach through his mental faculties the possible end all of, of this world and this life. This is the vision which can lead you to a void of nothingness or to God again, from which you traveled, you started your journey. So if an inward journey means this, then Islam fully approves of it. Islam advocates it. But if it's just a hazardous journey of trying to reach one's ego without any guardian along with, with one, 
then it is very seldom that Buddhas are born out of this. Most of the products of such journeys are self-destruction and uh, illusions and nothing else. 